As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to The Athletic Football Show, presented by YouTube and YouTube TV, the new home of NFL Sunday Ticket. I'm Robert Mays. Fun show for you guys today. It is the last installment of our going camping series, traveling around to various NFL training camps over the month of August. Had a great time doing these. I went to see, I think, 20 different teams uh, in about a month, which was a lot, but it was very fun. I can't even tell you how enjoyable it is to be having these football conversations and getting to see the country, getting to spend time with all these different people. It was a blast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the insights from these people who cover the teams and just understand them in a way that we can't, not being there every single day. And these are our last three. It's a run through the NFC North. My old stopping grounds went to Minneapolis, went to Green Bay, ended things in Chicago. Very excited for you guys to hear from Alec Lewis, who covers the Vikings for us. Matt Schneidman, who is our Packers writer here at The Athletic. And Kevin Fishbane, who is one of our Bears writers here at The Athletic. I don't think Kevin has been on the show as part of the series before we had Adam Johns on last year. So very excited for you guys to hear from all three of them. Let's get to it. Joining us now, I think for the first time Ever. on this show. Well, you only started on the beat last year. Don't give me that much shit about no, it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just happy to be here. I, uh, I mean... I don't know, Mizzou guys. It's just it's about time. It's been a long time. It's a long time coming. Yeah. Joining us right now, it is our Vikings writer at the Athletic. It's Alec Lewis. How you doing, man? I'm great, Robert. I uh, it's been a it's been a blast of a camp. Uh, you came in yesterday on Mustache Monday. Kirk Cousins <laughs> has embraced his uh, goofy side for a few weeks now, which has been uh, it's been interesting. He's a star now, a movie star. So I, I guess I get it. A team that is in such an interesting space. They went 13 games last year. I think all of us know that it wasn't a real 13-win season. But maybe maybe that's harsh. It, it, the underlying metrics would tell us that the 13 wins maybe were not indicative of where this team was in the process. There we go. We'll do it that way. Now, you have this new version of it, or the second act of Quasi Dofa Mensah and Kevin O'Connell after they came in last year, where they were a playoff team. And this idea of competitive rebuild that they've been trying to sell from the beginning is still going on. Yeah. They're still shedding some veteran salaries. They're getting younger in some areas, while I think really trying to be competitive this year. So as they kind of step into the second season of this, how would you assess 
what this competitive rebuild quote unquote looks like? Do you, do you feel like they're balancing both worlds in the way that they're trying to? Yeah. And they are really trying to, I mean, it's, it's um, something I asked Kwesi Adofo Mensa about the first press conference we had um, at the beginning of training camp. And he kind of laughed at himself because I think he knows that the characterization of competitive rebuild has become like a thing here uh, in a, in a funny way, like fans talk about it all, all the time, but I kind of view last year as more of like competitive rebuild. This year is a m- little more like competitive rebuild. And so I think they've done a lot to kind of move off of contracts of guys like Eric Kendricks and Adam Thielen. And, and, and I think they've tried to replace those guys with some younger guys like the Marcus Davenport, Byron Murphy, some high upside uh, kind of signing. So I think they've tried to navigate it well while tr- while looking forward and clearing the books a little bit. And it's it's I think they're trying to kind of thread the needle. And in some ways, I think they're 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 they've done it in a solid way. And I think it, it's going to ultimately come down to quarterback as everything seems to look at the moves they made this offseason and kind of pick up the breadcrumbs the teams give us. They go and hire Brian Flores to be their defensive coordinator complete stylistic change on that side of the ball. I think on purpose. I think both the fans, anyone who likes this team, and even people within this building, looked at how they bled out certain games on defense last year and just said, we're not doing this again. And the Flores hiring almost seems like an overcorrection from what we saw last year. Then on offense, most of the piece is the same. You go draft Jordan Addison in the first round, so you swap him out for Adam Thielen. You get a bit younger, more explosive at that other receiver spot. And then you sign Josh Oliver, to this pretty sizable deal to be your number two tight end. So on offense, it just feels like we want one more receiving option and then to be more physical running the ball. And then on defense, we just want to be able to create a few more problems. And the end game of all of this appears to me to be to win the division, right? To be a playoff team again, to be competitive week in and week out. So let's play that out. Let's say that their vision for this team, where they're really good on offense and they're annoying on defense, (laughs) gets you to 10 wins. Now what? Like what comes next? That the end game here as part of this competitive rebuild to me is such a fascinating question to ask because even if we go through the rigmarole again of them being a double digit win team that makes the playoffs, probably doesn't win a Super Bowl, what are you left with? And for some teams it doesn't matter, but for this team I think it's a huge blinking lights question that is the only thing that ends up mattering. Yeah, I think, and that is, again, why I mentioned the quarterback, because ultimately without the direction of that position, I think they're just, the the questions exist. I mean, obviously, you could talk about Justin Jefferson and his potential extension, TJ Hawkinson, I mean, in in years to come, Christian Derisaw. But I think ultimately, what they do at quarterback, I mean, for for whatever happens this year, that conversation is going to hover over what happens this year and be the conversation next off season. Um, and so I, I, it is an interesting, I think ownership um, has said pretty clearly, like we want to be competitive every single year. And I think fans here love those games. I mean, the Vikings are such a part of the culture in this place. That, that Last I, year was fun. Right. I have to imagine it was a right. good time and for I people. Could, as you were saying that, I could just imagine Nate and his like high pitched voice at some point this year being like, they're kind of fun. Like they're kind of like, I can just see you guys doing that, watching this defense and, and the chaos of it. So but but it is it's a worthwhile question and that's why like you know you're always trying to think in this in in this job like what is the present looking like and i always analyze how can they win this year but i also have that blinking light in the back of my mind of like going forward in the macro what is the plan where is this thing going long term for years they would extend kirk and kind of borrow from his contract as a way to keep competitive and keep this thing going 
They did not do that again. This is the last year of his deal. Do you think it is a foregone conclusion? Or let's put a percentage on it. What do you think the percentage chance is that he is not the Vikings quarterback next season? I would say probably 70% that he's not the Vikings quarterback. That's next a big year. number. Yeah, it's a big number. And I, I know there were conversations. They've had conversations. And you know this better than anybody. Kirk Cousins has not been has not been afraid in the past to bet on himself if the deal does not give him peace. And I think that's where the situation has stood this offseason. You never like Quasi Dovaminsa says all the time, like conversations are ongoing and you never know, depending on what does or doesn't happen into the season and, and during the season, like maybe the two sides do get together. We'll see what happens. But I would say right now it looks like Kirk's going to play it out and uh, do what he's done multiple times in the past and bet on himself. So then where does that leave you? I think that becomes the big question. And we don't have to keep harping on that. We, that's something that we can address many, many times over the course of the year. Let's talk more about that plan to get them to 10 wins and potentially be a playoff team. Yeah. Offensively last year, after the TJ Hawkinson trade, they were a different team throwing the football. Teams played them a different way. Teams were really willing to lean into a lot of man coverage because they didn't trust the other pass catchers to get open. You could double Justin Jefferson. That was the blueprint for the first half of the season. They go trade for TJ Hawkinson. Now they have kind of a matchup destroyer in a way that they didn't before. They become harder to play against. But the one underlying area of the offense that he didn't solve and still hasn't been solved is this team was really bad running the football. They led the league in negative runs. It was a weakness, even with some of the advantageous looks that were created because Justin Jefferson exists. Based on the conversations I've had over the last 24 hours, it feels like getting better and more efficient in that area was definitely the priority for this staff in the offseason. Is that kind of the same thing that you found in talking to people here? A hundred percent. I mean, going back to the owners meetings, I mean, Kevin O'Connell would said the word rushing efficiency probably like a billion <laughs> times. And I think they've tried to do it like in three different facets from a personnel perspective. You mentioned Josh Oliver, the gigantic tight end. I mean, I asked Wes Phillips like early in training camp, what does this guy bring? And he's like, well, have, have you seen the guy? I mean, he looks like a defensive end. So I think him blocking the edge is is a piece of it. I think more utilization of C.J. Ham. I think that's also a, a piece to what they're trying to do. That's the personnel side. I think schematically they're going to do some different stuff from a gap scheme perspective and also just using C.J. Ham. And then I think from a mindset shift, they Garrett Bradbury, the center, told me that like one of the first meetings they had – it, Kevin was like, from a mindset, we need to we need to alter what, how we're thinking about running the football and be physical and bring it to defenses. And I think you 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 hit the nail on the head. Like it's not like they weren't running in in advantageous looks. Right. I mean, they had too high coverage. I think more than most last year, given Justin Jefferson. I believe it was the highest rate in the entire league. Exactly. And so with that, I think they they just believe if we can be more efficient running the football, then it'll open up more things on the on the perimeter on the outside. And you mentioned TJ Hawkinson, but what he did over the course of his time here, I think he was like a top 10 most targeted pass catcher in the entire NFL once he arrived here. So, um, but yeah, the rushing efficiency, that's been the theme going back months now. If you can up to get that to a place where you're not having negative runs, you're staying on schedule offensively, it really does feel like this offense has a chance to be better than it was last year, like significantly better, like a top five-ish unit if things go well and a top 10-ish unit even if things go pretty well. I don't think that's out of line. No, I, I think you're you're kind of leaning on two different facets, uh, maybe three. Alexander Madison being your starting running back. I going to ask about that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he is – and I think he fits exactly what they're looking for in terms of he might not have the explosive characteristics of Dalvin, but he is 
a, a strong physical downhill, get you four yards, put you in second and six, third and two, and keep the playbook open. I think that's part of it. I think uh, Jordan Addison's ability to to stay on the field and separate in a way that Adam Thielen was not last year, I think if the offense does take a step forward, that's going to be a big reason. And then I just think in general – uh, you're you're banking on Kirk Cousins in year two of this scheme and this system, and so um, yeah. But the, the the if and then the interior of the offensive line, the Garrett Bradbury, Ed Ingram, Ezra Cleveland, it's the same group. Can they take a step forward? Um, it's a lot of ifs, but I think to your point, like the floor and ceiling, you can look at them pretty optimistically if some some of those ifs go well. I expect them to be really competitive on that side of the ball, and it's interesting watching the commitment they've made to a certain style of offense personnel wise, where. Obviously, Kevin O'Connell and Wes Phillips come from this 11 personnel world with Sean McVay. They get here. C.J. Ham is there. After they trade for Hawkinson, 12 personnel makes a little bit more sense in terms of the pieces that you have. So they were navigating this new world personnel-wise and a new run game in that world. Yeah. And I think having a whole offseason to take a step back, analyze what we did well, what we didn't do well, and think about the next stage of this, it's very telling that they keep CJ Ham on the roster and they go get a guy like Josh Oliver. It's not about going back to what we used to do. It's about embracing kind of this new world and ways we can make it hard on defenses running the ball. Yeah, and I think that you hit the – they extended CJ Ham. Yeah. So it was not only like they just brought – like they, they committed to him. And, and CJ, I mean, before last year, and I think this is like a running joke among Vikings people in general, it's like CJ Ham's going to get more stab, more usage every year we talk about this. But if you've been out here at training camp just watching them practice, they use him and insert him in a lot of different facets. And so I think as you mentioned that and the personnel in general, that's why I think I'm excited to see this offense yeah. because – it is so Sean McVay influence, and that's been the the narrative. But this, I think, is going to look very different, and I want to see what that what what that looks like on Sunday. Offense again, I think they're going to be competitive for the entire season. Defensively, that is <laughs> it. Can't necessarily chalk it up the exact same way. But again, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, you and I. This reminds me of the Giants going out and hiring Wink Martindale last year, where you think, all right, we're going to be inexperienced to put it kindly, in areas of our defense, we might as well force the issue and make it hard to play against us. And again, it feels a little bit like an overcorrection for what happened last year, but that seems to be the mindset. And even if we have questions about how young the corners are and the defensive personnel has some holes, by playing this way, maybe we can dictate to teams in a way we couldn't last season. And if we can get one, two, three splash plays over the course of a game, make teams make completions, we can outscore people on the way to 10 wins. That's what it feels like to me. Completely agree. I, I The way I've compared it is like, it's like you're in the boxing ring and you're the boxer just like, Last year, it was just taking punches relentlessly, but man, they've got a tough chin and they can kind of hold their own. This year, it's like, holy cow, they're swinging aggressively, but they just got popped with an uppercut yeah. a couple of times. So that's kind of how I viewed it. But you mentioned the youth. I mean, at cornerback, and and it's an important position to discuss when you're talking about a Brian Flores defense. But besides Byron Murphy, there is very little experience at that position. So that I mean, I mentioned the ifs on offense, but that is just a gigantic if with very little depth at that position. So I I think that's where you get a little hesitant. And then the linebacking core, other than Jordan Hicks, I mean, it's another young and very inexperienced group. And I could probably say that for for most of the positions, safety is probably where they're most. I would say that's their their deepest position on defense, having a veteran in Harrison Smith, having Cam Bynum. Josh Metellus is a guy who will have a very versatile role in this defense and I think surprise some people. But 
yeah, it. I expect maximum chaos. I expect uh, a little bit of um, probably just variance on that side, but it, I, it's it's going to be mayhem probably. What has kind of the company line been about the fact that Andrew Booth and Lewis Seen both haven't been able to crack the starting lineup? Because you can have good process <laughs> coming out of your ears yeah. when you're talking about trades down and thinking about assets. Eventually, the picks have to become players. And the fact that their first draft trading down from that spot where Jamison Williams went netted two guys in the top 40 picks that haven't been able to be starters, that has to be a little bit disheartening for this group. No question. And I think they have mostly been optimistic because that aligns with their culture that they wanted to instill here. But I do think there is an awareness, a visceral awareness among the people making the decisions that like Lewis seen is optimal in a situation where he is not having to think through rules like he had to last year in Ed Donatel's defense and where he can just go fly to the football and make hits. Uh, Andrew Booth, I think, similarly, it's like if he can be physical at the line of scrimmage and tackle in the backfield, those are his skill sets. Let, let's use him in those roles. But both those guys are low on the depth chart. And so I think while being optimistic about them is nice from a PR perspective, yeah, I mean, the, the deeper this goes with those guys – not making impact, it's it 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 hurts and it's going to raise questions. And I, I mean, it it is the reason probably some guys are still here from a veteran standpoint. And and um yeah, but it's a, I mean, fans talk about it a lot. We we think about it a lot. Um, Lewis Seen, you try to give them grace because Lewis Seen did suffer just a terrible compound fracture. Andrew Booth missed most of the year with the torn meniscus. So it's been uh it's been a rocky start for that group. And given to your point, the way they handled that draft it's it's something i think we'll be talking about analyzing um going through for a long time here it feels like it's going to be a hold on to your hats kind of situation yeah. in defense both good and bad and i think that's exactly what they want they're willing to live in a little bit more of a high variance world based on the construction of the team i think that the way they want to play offensively and the way they think their offense can play like the heights that it can reach this defense feels more complementary to the way that they want to exist than last year's did yeah, I completely agree. And I think the one thing I will say is every player from Daniil Hunter to the the back of Josh Metellus is, I mean, they are extremely excited to be in this style. <laughs> and and, I, and so I think whatever it looks like, um, I think that has been something that stood out from the very beginning of Brian Flores' time here. I want to ask you about Madison and just workload. If we're talking, it's August 22nd. We're in fantasy football land now. Of course. Do you feel like it's his job like, – ironclad he's going to get a vast majority of the work or is somebody like Ty Chandler and the pop that he can potentially give you compared to what Madison's skill set looks like is there a world where he starts to eat into some of that over the course of the year yeah I think maybe he could eat into it but I think from the outset Kevin O'Connell and this Viking staff is very committed to Alexander Madison being the guy and I think going back to going back months conversations I've had with staff like I think they would have liked Alexander and Madison to get more touches last year I also know in training camp he's caught a lot of passes out of the backfield and so I think early on especially it's his job it's it's his touches they brought in some running backs for workouts and that type of thing but I don't think that has anything to do with what they think about Alexander Madison I, I expect a, a pretty hefty workload early on for sure on defense, you mentioned Metellus is somebody that maybe surprises people. Who are the other kind of younger underlying pieces that they're going to rely on and potentially could be a little bit better than people might expect? Yeah, I think you have to start with the Caleb Evans at cornerback. Mm -hmm. He suffered 
three concussions last year, but the team drafted him in the fourth round of, of the 2022 draft. They believe in him six foot two longer guy, but has the eyes, I think, to play cornerback in zone if, if need be for Flores defense. So I think you start there. He's been the guy um, across from Byron Murphy in this training camp as the number two corner. And then at linebacker, I mean, I think the buzz around here has been this dude, Ivan Pace Jr., who was an undrafted guy from Cincinnati who Jim Nagy at the senior bowl was like, this guy just lit everybody up and he was awarded the defensive player of the senior bowl. But then he went undrafted. And I think a lot of people questioned the why, but he has been, he's been a fan favorite and he's kind of a wrecking ball at like five eleven. So those, those are the two I think I would single out. It's going to be an interesting year. They're, they're again, trying to straddle these two worlds and we'll see how definitely they can pull it off. I think that they're going to be a really competitive team, even if they don't win 13 games. And I think in, for the Vikings specifically, that's okay. As long as they can feel like they're making progress and they're hard to play against every single week, that's going to be enough. And I think that there's a chance they get there. Alclus, thank you very much for the time, my friend. Very good to see you. Very good to chat with you. You too, Robert. Great to see you. Thanks for coming. Um, and uh, I heard you had a good dinner last night. So I that's really, really did. What I've eaten well, man. I, I need to get home so I can put you a look salad fine. In my yeah, body. Yeah, I don't yeah. feel fine. Okay. I'll tell you that right now. Right. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Robert. Joining us now, it is our Packers writer here at The Athletic. It's Matt Schneidman. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm good. little behind the scenes. Uh, hopefully, third time's the charm. <laughs> we have tried two different locations inside Lambeau Field. Yeah. One, the almost barren media auditorium. Then some folks walked in. And then the visitor's locker room. And then a tour walked in. But I'm doing good. Uh, this is the, the perils of training camp podcast recording that we're running into exactly. right here. And that's how it works. Uh, the hottest day of training camp so today, night 104 with the heat index. Uh, I sweat through all my clothes, still not feeling great, but that's the risk you run in late August going to all of these. But a fascinating time uh, here in Packers world. We are year one of the Jordan Love regime. We have the youngest skill position group I can remember on an NFL football team. They have all of the Aaron Rodgers dead money that they're dealing with. I think they were dead last in the NFL in cash spending this offseason, if not second to last. It's a time of decided transition. And I'm curious, as you kind of take stock of where this team is and what their expectations are for this season, what do you think they want to accomplish? What do you think this season is about for the Green Bay Packers? Yeah, I know there was some talk earlier this offseason specifically with David Bakhtiari using the word rebuild. And I agree with him when he says... He's not necessarily saying the Packers are expecting to lose because that's what comes along with the term rebuild in terms of what people think of. The Packers have plenty of talent to win this division. Yeah, they didn't tear it down by any stretch. No, absolutely not. But Bakhtiari's point, which he kind of explained, I believe, with Rich Eisen, and I forget how much in detail he went into it with us when he spoke about it in the locker room, but... They're rebuilding their offense. You know, yeah. they don't have Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunyon, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Aaron Rodgers. They are a completely different offense, more so than defense. But, you know, there's a couple changes on defense. They're going to let the young guys play. Brian Gutekunst not brought in any veteran tight ends, no veteran wide receivers. They move on to Jordan Love. They want to win, and they expect to win. But it's not like if they stumble out of the gate, they're going to say, okay, let's bring in reinforcements. Let's, you know, bring in some veterans, sign Jarvis Landry. Like, they're going to sink or swim. This is trial by fire. This is not a we need to win now like the past couple of years have been. This is a let's let the young guys grow together, this young core. And if we win while we're doing that, great. So I think the Packers are playing with house money. 
Now, obviously, there's still going to be a lot of pressure on Jordan Love. They're the Green Bay Packers. He's following Aaron Rodgers. But I think expectations are low for this team, not within the building. And they're just, you know, riding with it and saying if we win while we're, you know, experimenting with all this, then perfect. I think that's fair. And if you look at just the way that they've built this, they took all of that Rodgers money on the chin in year one. And they didn't want to spread it out because I think they wanted to clear the book starting next year. You right. look at the creative solution they had with Jordan Love's deal. He has a $7 million cap hit next year. If he's good, they'll have some financial flexibility to add some pieces to this team and potentially hit the ground running as a contender again. So this feels like almost like an interstitial season where you understand we're going to take a little bit of I don't of know medicine. what that word means. It, it's in the middle. Interstitial? Yeah, it's in the middle. It's like, Sounds it's, like a, it's a space term. Interstitial is something you, you put it between two scenes, okay, right? Okay. And I that's like kind of that. what this feels like. Okay. And now you're kind of biding time to figure out what do we have? Let's let the young guys come along and then... Next year, if we feel like we're in a position where it's worth it, we can kind of rev it back up again. That's what it feels like, at least. Right, because Jordan Love's pretty much on a two-year trial run here. Yes. You know, they they extended him instead of exercising his fifth-year option and guaranteeing him a little over $20 million, I think it would have been, for next season. Uh, instead, they, I believe, gave him just more money up front, and they aren't on the hook for as much down the line if he stinks this season, which... I don't think he will. I think he'll be above average based on what we've seen so far. Granted, you know, we have no idea until the real games start. But I think the expectation, like you said, is this year is to kind of figure things out. And if they don't make the playoffs or don't, you know, win, then it'll be disappointing. But it's not like they'll fall as short of expectations as they have the last couple seasons, you know, not making it to the Super Bowl, not even making the playoffs last year. So I think there is a belief inside this locker room, though, that this team's going to surprise a lot of people. Your assessment of Jordan Love, you said you don't think you think he's going to be above average. Is that how much of that is what you've seen? How much of that is what you've heard from people in the building? Where do you get that optimism from personally? Yeah, I mean, he throws a really nice ball for the most part. Um, he's got the demeanor to do it like he seems unflappable extremely calm is it as fun for us interviewing him as it was Aaron Rodgers no but um <laughs> he seems to really have the temperament to handle all the pressure and expectations that are on him now he's gotten a lot better skill wise the guys in the locker room really respect him um he can move now like I said it's one thing to be throwing darts against the Bengals and Patriots backups some starters in there, but what else do we have to, to go off of? And he's had an up and down camp to some regard, but I would definitely say there's been more good than bad. What's fascinating, and I was talking to Jordan Love about this today, this is his first year as a starter, but compared to the guys he's playing with on offense, he's the veteran. Of course, yeah. He's the one who knows the offense Clifford better. Is older than Jordan Love. The backup quarterback, who's a rookie, is older than the starter, who's in his fourth year. So even though we've never seen him for extended periods of time running the offense, he's the one that's having to explain some of the finer details and the nuances to these new guys because he's been in the offense longer than Christian Watson has, longer than Romeo Dobbs has, certainly longer than any of the rookies have. So typically when you have this sort of team, whether it's an entire offensive roster or it's individual position groups, at least there's some sort of veteran beacon in most of these rooms. The offensive line room here, correct. That David Bakhtiari is here. That group, I think, is more settled and much more of a veteran top group. Th top three in the league. Same with 
the running back group too. Yes, but you look at their receivers and the tight ends, and the idea that this first-year quarterback is going to be the one who has to bring these guys along is just a dynamic that I can't remember ever existing on another NFL team before. Right, and I think – I don't know if this is a benefit or a hindrance, but like last year, there was such a gap between what the wide receivers could do like mentally – and what Aaron Rodgers was demanding, what he was used yeah. to. You saw Aaron get up there and call guys out for not knowing what routes they were running. And rightfully so. But I'm not going to sit here and say that it put more pressure on the guys because they knew they would get chewed out if they didn't do something right. But there's something to be said, I think, for the quarterback, the receivers, the tight ends, all being young and inexperienced and doing this together. It probably doesn't matter in terms of because these guys are professionals. It's not like Romeo Dobbs is going out there and being like, oh, I was scared to do this, and now I'm not because Jordan's not going to yell at me. But, like, it's fun. It's, it's interesting to cover. It's intriguing because it's completely different than what we've seen here in past years with a veteran core to an extremely young core on offense. And I still think they can be good. This division stinks. So I think they can contend for the division. I mean, they have a vastly improved special teams. I know they have eight first-round picks on defense. I still need to see it. Yeah. But getting Rashawn Gary back is massive for this team. I don't think I understood before I was here today talking to a couple of different people about his overall standing within the locker room and within like who they are as a team and a defense before talking to a couple of people. I, I don't think from the outside, I don't think people appreciate that enough. I think he's their best player yeah. overall. I and mean, then beyond that, just like tone setting. And oh, like what he kind of represents, I think, is more substantial than someone who on the outside looking in would probably guess. Right. I think, you know, I'd say he's their best player. You could say Bakhtiari and Jair Alexander are also in contention for that. But this is one of my most telling stats from last season. So from weeks one to nine, the Packers ranked second in pressure percentage in the NFL. So for those who aren't familiar with that, it's percentage of pass rush snaps resulting in a pressure. Gary Terrace's ACL week nine in Detroit. From week 10 to 18, they rank 28th. So a drop off of 26 spots when they lose wow. one guy. And in the first eight weeks of the season, so when Gary was healthy for full games, he ranks second in the NFL in pressure percentage among guys with at least 100 pass rush snaps. So among guys who regularly yep. rush the passer behind Nick Bosa, who won Defensive Player of the Year. Rashawn Gary doesn't get the you know, name recognition, you know, he's not the the brand that Nick Bosa, Micah Parsons, Aaron Donald, you know, Miles Garrett, TJ Watt are, but he was in the defensive player of the year consideration before he got hurt. And I asked Jair Alexander yesterday, because yesterday was, um, we're recording this on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Yesterday was Rashawn Gary's first 11 on 11 work since that ACL tear. I asked Jair, Jair Alexander, you know, what does a healthy Rashawn Gary mean for you guys? He goes, a healthy Rashawn Gary is like Superman. Yeah. He makes my job so much easier. <laughs> like we've seen this this secondary have some breakdowns. I still think they're very talented at at corner. Safety could be an absolute disaster, but how you remedy that is get to the quarterback and not make your guys cover for a long time. Safety definitely the biggest question mark probably oh, yeah, personnel wise in the entire team. At least we know who the receivers are gonna be. They're highly drafted guys. You anticipate some growth from that. The front is a combination of you know young pieces that they were highly drafted plus proven guys. I mean, their edge rushers go four or five deep now. It feels like with Lucas Van Ness coming in, Devontae Wyatt coming into year two has apparently made some like pretty big strides. We know who the linebackers are, but 
and the corner, like you said, Rasul Douglas and Jair Alexander are going to be on the outside right now. Keyshawn Nixon's in the nickel. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens when Eric Stokes gets back, but that's a good problem to have. Right. All of those spots feel fairly settled, right? Yeah. Safety, who are even the starting safeties on this team? Well, the problem is that Darnell Savage is the one locked to start at safety. Yep. He has been the one who's taken pretty much all the first team reps. Like Darnell Savage was so bad last year that he was demoted from starting safety to you know, the fifth DB in certain packages to the bench. I think it was week 12 when they played the Eagles on Sunday night, the game where Aaron Rodgers thought he had a collapsed lung. Um, And Darnell Savage might have played one snap that game. It might have been in dime. And he missed a tackle on Jalen Hurts, it might have been, and just didn't play for the rest of the game. Like, he got demoted twice last season. Came on late, had some good moments late in the season, but the fact that he's the sure thing to start at safety tells you all you need to know is concerning. Now he did make, I think it was the PFWA All Rookie Team. He was an All Rookie Safety. He was a first round pick in 2019. He's just not a playmaker. And at the second safety spot, they're rotating Jonathan Owens, better known as Simone Biles' husband, <laughs> um, Tavarius Moore, who's been not a defensive starter for the 49ers in recent years. Rudy Ford, who came over here in camp last year as one of the top gunners on special teams in the league, and he does that really well, but he's just an average safety. And then Anthony Johnson Jr., a rookie seventh-round pick out of Iowa State. So the fact it's not like they have one, okay, we're really confident in this guy. I think it's just a matter of they don't have anyone else, which is why I was a little surprised. You know, I understand not bringing back Mercedes Lewis because you have Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft. I understand not bringing back Robert Tunyon or Randall Cobb or Alan Lazard because you have Watson, Dobbs, Toure. You don't want to cut off opportunities and growth for those guys. Right, but it's okay to cut off those opportunities for guys that aren't good enough. Or weren't first or second round picks. And Joe Barry spoke to us last Friday and said, yeah, that second safety spot's still up in the air. Uh, The season opener is on September 10th. It's like two two weeks and four days away. It's concerning that nobody's risen to the top yet. I think it's just because they don't have good enough players back there. That is the main concern on defense, I think, personnel-wise. I also have systemic concerns on defense because we can do this every single offseason where we look at the depth chart and think, oh, my God, look at all these guys. Look at all the first-round picks they've spent. This guy should definitely be better in year two. And you talk yourself into a version of this defense that has never really come to fruition for long stretches of time. So I'm curious... Based on the conversations you've had with people here, why should the results be different structurally than they've been over the last couple of years? I don't know that people should expect them to be. Like like you said, they have the same personnel. Every summer we hear about how many first-round picks they have. It, it, I'm, it's like I have amnesia every now, single now, July. I don't know if it's – you know, the easy person to blame is Joe Barry because anytime you don't have individual talent – like. Kenny Clark, Devondre Campbell, Jair Alexander, Rasul Douglas, Quay Walker, Rashawn Gary, they're all Pro Bowl caliber players or or are capable of giving you Pro Bowl caliber uh, play. So it's easy to say, oh, well, it's on the coach then if if they don't play as a unit. But we'd have to sit down with a lie detector, go through every mishap, every play, every assignment, you know, the conversations to really, you know, hand out blame but like last season in week one, Justin Jefferson had like 180 receiving yards in the first half. 
because Jair Alexander all week was asking to follow Justin Jefferson. Joe Barry said, no, we're not letting you follow him. And then after the game, Jair told me and Rob Domofsky, like, yeah, I was asking him all week. You, you guys know what I want. And then Jair stayed with him in week 17, it was, and Jefferson was totally shut out. Like, they need to let their players make plays. It'll help that Gary's healthy. But each of the past couple seasons, this is now Barry's third as, as defensive coordinator, they play really well for like half the season and then horribly for the other half. I remember in 2021, they were, you know, they had maybe eight straight games or they had a long stretch where they allowed less than 22 points in all those games. And then like the second half of the season, it was like 31, 30, 28. Then they just disappeared. Last year, it was, they started off poorly, got themselves in a hole. They were three and six, I think. And then their secondary just comes alive. They had three interceptions of, of Tua in the fourth quarter yep. in a game in Miami where they had to have to keep their season alive. They need to put it all together. I don't know what it's going to take. But the key is not only a safety spot, but since 2018 when Brian Gutekunst took over as GM, this is the worst run defending team in the NFL. That's the problem. In terms of EPA per play, which I like to look at on true media. Like Kenny Clark has never had enough help. They've had the Dean Lowry's, the Tyler Lancaster's, the Jaron Reed's. I also think it's the way they played. Yeah. It's the structure of the defense. And I think that the Jair Alexander example from the Justin Jefferson game is a very good one. Just forcing the issue more often, whether it be the amount of people you're cramming into the box, whether it be the amount of man coverage that you're willing to play with some of the guys that you right. have. I just anticipate them forcing the issue more on that side of the ball than they have for most of the last couple of years. And you would hope with that sort of mindset shift and even some of the where we position certain things and how we approach this, that you feel that over the course of a season rather than, again, some of that passivity that crept into the way they played over the last couple of years. For sure. And it's maybe the most cliche word in the sport, but we've heard this camp, you know, we're going to be more aggressive. What that means, what it's going to look like. I don't know. My guess is more man coverage. More, more single I would certainly hope so because they have, assumption. you know, Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard probably number one on that list, but I would put Rasul Douglas and Jair Alexander right up there in terms of the two best man corners, or I should say the best uh, tandem of man corners in the NFL. And then when Stokes gets back, you'd have another guy who can play that way. Right, of course. To. Now yeah. He stunk for the first half of last season before he got injured, but he was really good at a rookie, yeah. as a rookie in 2021. And like you said, it's a good problem to have. Keyshawn Nixon has never played this much defense in his career. His first team All-Pro as a kick returner last year. Filled in a little bit at nickel. Um, I believe specifically when Alexander went down in week three against the Buccaneers in Tampa, but... You know, he's never played this much defense. And Carrington Valentine, a rookie seventh-round pick out of Kentucky, has been one of the stars at camp. So he's trying to get on the field and, and almost forcing the coach's hand. So they have some interesting decisions to make at corner. In the secondary, they have too many options at corner and not nearly enough at safety. <laughs> and the Rasul Douglas, the safety thing, feels like a non-starter based uh, it, on what I had heard today. It was a joke yeah. from Rasul. Now, Joe Barry said that he's never seen Rasul play safety. Rasul played safety in practice, I think, once last year. He has the athletic skill set to do it. Now, if your goal is to get the best five DBs on the field, then Rasul probably goes back to safety and Carrington Valentine comes in and plays outside corner. But uh, it does not seem that is even a thought here. One of the other optimistic cases for why the defense will be better and why things just feel a little bit different here is that that version of the team that they were hanging on to, some of those veterans that they were hanging on to, trying to squeeze everything they could out of the Aaron Rodgers-led version of this, 
the youth movement, I think, gives you more athleticism, more speed, but also just more freedom in terms of like how guys are feeling playing. There just seems to be maybe a hunger or maybe a different vibe with all of the young players that they have and kind of the atmosphere that that's created. That's, I think, what they'll tell you. And I think they're banking on that. Do you think there's some validity to that? For sure. You know, there's definitely a different energy in the locker room. Like, yeah. Jair Alexander jumping up behind Jordan Love during interviews and saying this is the best QB in the league. Like, after family night when John Kuhn was interviewing Jordan Love on the Jumbotron, you have Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and Jane Reed putting up hearts to say love <laughs> behind Jordan Love. He's earned the respect of people in this locker room. I think he's going to be voted a captain. They vote three captains on offense, three on defense, so I think teammates will vote him one just to be like, we, we, we respect you. you. Yeah. And... Guys use a lot to motivate themselves, but I think there really is a feeling inside this locker room like we're not a team that's just going to go eight and nine again just because we have a first year quarterback. We're going to surprise some people. Now they could go out and lose to the Bears week one and then that's shot in the foot. But I, I do sense that there is a let's prove some people wrong. And that hasn't been here in past years because nobody doubts the Packers. Nobody's doubted the Packers in recent years, at least not. Are they going to be good? It's can they get over the hump and win the Super Bowl? Yeah. The question this year is, are they going to be any good? And it's easy for guys to say, we can go out and prove people wrong. It's harder to be like, well, we can prove them wrong by winning a Super Bowl. It's easier to just prove them wrong by, you know, being good, which I think they will be. I, I have said all along they'll be 10-7 and seven this year. They don't play a, a team that made the playoffs last year until week eight. Last question. In terms of the skill position roles, how do you envision the workloads shaking out? Like, What do you think Christian Watson's workload is going to be, the running backs? As we ramp up here toward fantasy football drafts, I'm wondering <laughs> like, what sort of insight you might have for people with how this has looked in practice. Draft Luke Musgrave. <laughs> you know, our Dane Brugler, the draft genius said in response to a tweet, a story I had about Musgrave the other week, he said in most drafts he would be tight end number one. The Packers hit the tight end lottery on day two with Musgrave and, and Tucker Craft from South Dakota State. Musgrave is an athletic freak. They're running him on jet sweeps in practice, go routes. Like He made a catch today over the top yeah, in the, in the end zone. That was He's got to work on his hands. He's yep. had a couple too many drops. And but he had one foot out of bounds. He still didn't. The, the catch didn't count. But and he had plenty you of could space see, to get that foot in bounds. You could see the athleticism, though. You could oh, see what he looks like. This kid is going to get a bunch of touches. They haven't had a tight end like this since prime Jermichael Finley, yeah. I don't think. I think Dobbs leads his team in catches. Watson really? is obviously more of like the big play guy and showed he can be that last year with like the Marquez Valdez scantling four catches for 102 yards and two touchdowns stat line. But they're 1A and 1B, and I think Jaden Reed's going to get a lot of touches too. I remember talking to A.J. Dillon earlier in camp, and A.J. Dillon said, you know, he obviously wasn't around for prime Randall Cobb here uh, in the early 2010s when he was tearing up the NFC North, but he said... I've watched the tape on Prime Randall Cobb, and Jaden Reed, although he hasn't done anything in the league yet, reminds me of him. This kid is a really good route runner. His hands have gotten a lot better throughout camp. Um, so those four guys, the two tight ends and three receivers, well, Tucker Craft probably less so, but Musgrave and then the three receivers are going to get a lot of play. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and say Aaron Rodgers changed out of running plays and threw in completions because we just don't know which plays he changed out of, the results of them, if it was a good decision. But they can lean into their strengths now. Naturally, when you have Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback, you're going to want to throw the ball to win games, as you should. But this team's strength, undoubtedly, without a shadow of a doubt, maybe there was one in past years, is the running game. 
They have a top five offensive line. They were fifth and eighth in pass and run block win rate last year, the ESPN analytics stat, and they return everyone on the offensive line. David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins haven't been healthy and playing together consistently, consistently well in three years when they were both Pro Bowl starters for the NFC at left tackle and left guard. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are back. You can make a case they're the best one-two punch in the league. Like, run, run, run. And then this play-action game has looked pretty good in camp. Yeah, and it's funny watching this version of the offense and it almost being a truer version of who Matt LaFleur is than oh, yeah. the compromise that he and Aaron Rodgers eventually came to. And I think that's kind of, if you're trying to spin this in an optimistic way, you're trying to rationalize it, it's now that we've kind of moved past this Aaron Rodgers era, there's a freedom associated with everything. The offensive schematics the lack of veterans cutting off opportunities to younger players. It just feels like there's a weight that's kind of been taken off this thing. The weight is helpful at the same time. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. But the dynamics feel like they've shifted in a way For sure. that everything else is kind of allowed to express itself unimpeded, maybe in a way that it couldn't over the last couple of years. And I think, you know, Matt LaFleur has really pushed back on the notion that we're finally going to get to see his real offense this year without Rodgers. And then Mark Murphy, God bless his soul, steps to the podium on the first day of training camp and says, I think this year we're going to get to see Matt's true offense. So if you ever want to know what the people within this building actually think, just ask the team president because he has no filter. In front He'll of tell you. Yeah, he will certainly now, tell you. Now, I don't know what Matt LaFleur's true offense will look like with all these players, but I'm excited to see how they use all these young guys because in past years, like Robert Tunyon wasn't a downfield threat, really. Randall Cobb was, he, he did some good, but he was injury prone. Losing Devontae Adams, like they had a horrible red zone offense last year. They went from best in the league to absolutely terrible. So are Luke Musgrave, Romeo Dobbs, Tucker Kraft going to get more, you know, options in the red zone? And will they return to that gold zone that they had with Nathaniel Hackett a couple of years ago? It's possible. Uh, I think the unknown surrounding this team makes it so intriguing this year. I 100% agree. It's going to be fascinating to watch, and there are going to be some fits and starts, I'm sure, on offense. But I think there's justifiable reasons for optimism. Match time. So too. Thank you very much for the time, sir. Always good to chat with you. We'll catch up soon. And no interruptions for the third recording of this podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, 
Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Joining us now is one of our wonderful Bears writers here at The Athletic, Kevin Fishbane. How you doing, man? You know, there are more people who write about the Bears than they had wins last year, I think. <laughs> I just, are you just counting Greenberg I'm as part of that? John Greenberg, yeah. yeah that does. So Adam Johns. If you want to throw Dan Pompey in there, yeah. I mean, The Athletic was started in Chicago. <laughs> it it's not an accident that we yeah. have this many Bears people. Heading in to year two of the Matt Eberflus era, a lot of changes from this time last year. I think at this time, on August 24th of 2022, the Bears probably had the worst receiving core in the league. It was all about just getting to the end of the year and not ruining your young quarterback. And now, a much different cast of characters, albeit beat up right now. So I'm, I want to ask you, what do you think are reasonable expectations for Justin Fields in this offense, given everything that has changed over the last nine months? It's a great question because it's such a low bar to just improve from the worst passing game. It would want like a decade. And you're talking about like just overall passing yards. Yeah, pure volume yes. passing yards. Yeah, I know yes. a lot of people point out like the Bears are the worst yak in the league. Well, they also had the worst, like lowest passing yards. Yeah. Of course, they had the lowest yak in the league. So I'm still trying to get my head around how big of a leap it will make. I'll say this. Everything I've seen since the first OTA till now tells me that DJ Moore is going to be the number one reason this thing goes goes up. And I don't necessarily, I don't want that to come off as a slight to Fields. I just right now have more confidence that DJ Moore is going to lift Justin Fields to new levels as opposed to Justin Fields maybe lifting a Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney. That's, That's okay. Yes. We have seen that work in other places. Yes. And you know the clips we've seen on social media over the last couple of years of rookies drawing the logo of the team that they're playing for. Yeah, this Bears offseason feels like Ryan Poles like drawing the Eagles 
and it doesn't look quite right, but you get what he was trying to do. Yep. Like DJ Moore is kind of like AJ Brown. The offensive line isn't as good, but they're trying to make improvements along the offensive line. And you saw what happened with Philadelphia. They had that midstream switch to a more run-heavy approach with their young quarterback, insulated him, give him some confidence, let him get some nice moments for himself as a young player. And then when you add the right pieces, you can open up the offense and take this thing to an entirely new level. Ideally, I think that's probably how this works out. But again, it's a makeshift version of this where you're kind of scribbling it in crayon. It's not quite to that same level. Right. And you know that with the Jalen Hurts, and you can even throw out the Josh Allen comparison when you think about the Bills and Stephon Diggs, that these are usually the exceptions, right? Like the, the yes. like Jalen Hurts is the exception. Now, I'm hopeful that just for all of us, because we all want to see players succeed, that that's going to start being the norm. That's going to be normal for quarterbacks to have vast improvements when their coaches real. Because with all the running quarterbacks that we now have in the league, that this is just going to be just a, a natural transition for coaches to get it. There's like a, a, a stop on the way. And the, the running and being able to use your legs has become like a stop on the way to being a fully developed quarterback or a more developed quarterback. And I don't think that progression plan and that development plan existed when we didn't have these sorts of quarterbacks in the NFL. So getting like halfway and then taking a little breather in your first, second year as a starter and being able to rely on your legs to kind of raise your floor and bide you time, that's becoming a regular thing in the NFL. That didn't exist 20 years ago. And for Fields, with him specifically, I think that we saw the running start to open up some, make some things a little bit easier in the passing game last year. And then go back to the DJ Moore, he's the one that can show us what, because Fields is obviously a much more accomplished passer than a lot of these guys were in college. Mm -hmm. Now we can have an entire podcast series about what Ohio State's offenses do and can do for quarterbacks and the transition to the NFL. But I think DJ Moore is okay, can I, he can maybe Fields can make an anticipatory throw now more often because he knows where DJ Moore is going to be. He knows DJ Moore is going to get there. He's going to beat his guy. He's going to catch the ball. He had that at Ohio State with Olave and Garrett yeah. Wilson. He knew those guys were going to beat the, beat their corners and he could get the ball to them. So DJ Moore maybe gives him that. Like in a very, very small sense on some of the play action stuff, Cole Komet gave him that last year where you know they were such a good running team that that opened things up and Cole Komet got a you know bunch of touchdowns because of it. So using that like it's funny because I feel like I'm not answering the original question, which is like, where is can this passing game? But go? I think that that's I think that's the right place to start. Yeah. I, I went back last year and never made, came anything or made anything of it. But I, I remember talking to Brandon Bean and Shane Steichen about this idea of when you add this true number one receiver and I, DJ Moore isn't Stefan Diggs or AJ Brown. Like, it doesn't matter. Let's say he's 80 percent of that. When you add this guy who becomes the number one option within your offense. What it does is it can breed trust with your quarterback, and it can breed confidence because of that trust. You just play faster. The stat I've thrown out, I don't know the exact number on it, but if you look at the first half of the season for the Eagles last year on against man coverage on like third down, the pure percentage of targets that A.J. Brown earned in those situations was insane because he trusted him in those moments. So if you can breed that trust and that confidence, you can get your quarterback to play faster. That's all on paper, like it's all theory, but I get wanting to go down that road and seeing if it brings Justin Fields to a different place just in the way that he's progressing and the way that he's operating within the offense. And I always say this to Bears fans because, I mean, look, you get the question probably 100 times this summer. Um, I got it a zillion times about Justin Fields. It's I don't know what he'll be, and I don't think the Bears know what he'll be. No. And they've kind of made that clear. If you listen closely, like there, you know, they've never, there's never been this full throated, 
you know, he's going to be a star. I've, obviously, at the end of the season, you want to know 100%. I'm, I'm worried that you're not going to get that. Um, but, like, we don't know what where he could take his game in terms of reading coverages and, you know, getting on. The, like, I, I, you know, we don't. That, that's the problem with the Josh Allen comparison, right? Because Josh Allen's a unicorn. And I think Jalen Hurts is a much better one. I know, obviously, Jalen Hurts was an MVP-esque player last year, but uh, that was one season. Not to say he won't continue that, but I, I think Jalen Hurts, I'm glad you brought up the Eagles, is the great comparison because it's if you can increase your accuracy, which is always a thing with quarterbacks, can you ever can you become more accurate? Um, I, I think that Justin Fields can take his game to a level because he's got a great deep ball. Can guys get open? Can he have a time? All those things. The other thing you mentioned um, about the Eagles I think is interesting not to get us on too much of a tangent, when you're talking about the Ryan Poles thing, is where did Ryan Poles also invest his second-round picks? Defensive line, cornerback. Because they all talked last year when Philadelphia came here. Every coach was saying, that Eagles defensive line, that Eagles yep. defensive line. The Bears defensive line is nowhere on the same solar system as the it's Eagles. It's also important to point out, they're just so much further so back much, in yep. the development of the entire team. In the team-building process, the Eagles were on stage five when they dropped A.J. Brown <laughs> into the mix. The Bears are on stage two. So expecting the same team-wide results is never going to happen. But similar to what you were saying, the Eagles wanted to make sure they had an answer on the quarterback by the end of last season. They had those two first-round picks in their back pocket. If we get to the end of the year and he's the guy, great. If we get to the end of the year and he's not the guy, fine. We can pivot and use this capital and this ammo that we've accumulated to go in a different direction. And it feels like as much as we want to talk ourselves into this working with Justin Fields and with this model – the Bears are in a very similar position. Yeah, look, they have Carolina's pick. And I, I mean, we've all seen how tough it is for rookie quarterbacks teams to do well. So even if Bryce Young is a good season, I think we can we've all look at the Panthers roster and you can see like that could be a top 10 pick. And yeah. the other thing, too, is like if just if Justin Fields struggles, you know, this team is probably winning six games, if not fewer, because the defense is still probably going to be just, pretty bad. You just still have a long, long way to go with a lot of these things. So. Then you're then you're talking about two top ten picks, and then you can you can get there. So obviously that's worst case scenario for the Bears, and it's interesting too because I, I wouldn't even well, call that worst case scenario because well, then your decision is made for you. Correct. Yes. That that is not the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario for me is you're in this nebulous middle ground where is he the guy? Is he not the guy? Well, maybe we should give him one more year, and then you miss out on your window to find the next right. guy. That's worst. And me. and the Bears have found themselves in that cycle before. Um, we've seen many teams find themselves in that cycle before. I mean, you look, to, you know, look, look at Jacksonville and Blake Bortles. I mean, obviously they cut that short, but like we have a litany of examples of a team. It, it, we could be having this conversation about the Giants a year from now, yeah, with 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 what they did, and I understand why they did it. But yeah, that's that's the thing with that Ryan Poles is, and Ryan Poles kind of acknowledged that. I mean, as I said publicly, he didn't go out and say, "Hey, if Justin Fields isn't good, well, I can just trade up." Now, it's easier said than done because I don't know how you're going to get into the top two next year because everyone's going to want those two quarterbacks. But I should say worst case scenario for Fields, right? That if he's not... For Fields, for yes. For Fields, yeah. Because if he's great, he's going to have an exorbitant payday coming and the Bears can finally say, we have our guy. But that's the other problem with like... And, and I hate to bring the financials into it because I'm a believer that you pay what the market tells you and you pay for great players and that's just football but it's gonna be a really hard decision for this franchise to sort through if he's good but not great and what do you do with the contract next year this is we're getting down a rabbit (laughs) hole that's like way too far but we've seen some creative solutions over the last couple years in a few different ways 
I'm not saying this would happen, but what the Packers did with Jordan Love, where they kind of protected themselves, right. they gave him a little bit more money up front. That's one of them. And also, there is a new middle class of quarterback contracts that is emerging. The quarterback con- market, the quarterback contract market is becoming more efficient. If you look at the deal that Daniel Jones got, mm-hmm. the deal even that Kirk Cousins signed his most recent extension, where it's for $35 million, now with these guys getting 50-52, there is a middle class of those deals. So if there's a world where he's good but not great, and you feel like, all right, well, if we make him the 13th highest paid quarterback in the league like Daniel Jones is, can we live with that? But that's a problem for an entirely another day. The DJ Moore addition, in my opinion, kind of lets the receiving core fall into place. It all makes a lot more sense now with him in the mix. You extend Cole Komet. The pieces are nice with the pass catchers and the skill position guys. The offensive line, in theory, should have been much improved this year. Braxton Jones, a left tackle, goes into year two. You sign Nate Davis in free agency. You still have Tevin Jenkins, who showed well a guard last year. You can move Cody Whitehair center. You draft Darnell Wright with a top 10 pick. On paper, great. The paper has become tarnished over the last couple of weeks here. I need you to give me an update on like the state of the Bears' offensive line as it currently stands. Yeah, I would say best case scenario, the only one who's out for week one is Tevin Jenkins right now. And that's okay because you have Lucas Patrick. And doesn't I mean, the center, doesn't Cody Whitehair theoretically have a cast on his hand right now and can't even play center if he wanted to? So Lucas Patrick steps in at center. And we just And the Cody Whitehair saga of moving positions continues. By the way, I have a quick Cody Whitehair theory, which is if they never moved him to center in the first place, he'd probably be a Pro Bowl guard at this point in his career. But that's... It hasn't been a good development plan <laughs> along the offensive line period. No. But I, I think that... Look, Lucas Patrick last... Not, not at this time last year in June of last year, was the Bears' best free agent acquisition. He was the one that internally they were so excited about from a leadership standpoint. From that says more about the spending power yes, that the Bears course. had last offseason well, than anything it was, else. It was Lucas Patrick or Byron Pringle, pretty much. That was it. Know. Those are the two big moves. Yeah, Justin Jones, who ended yeah. up having a, a nice season for what he you know for what he meant. But yeah, that's what you're looking at. with Because it, it seems like Tevin Jenkins is not going to be ready to go reading the tea leaves. The, you know... The Darnell Wright, you know, like, again, Darnell Wright could be back. Nate Davis is a mystery. He's missed so much time. Any sense of why that is? Uh, no, he told us we're supposed to ask the trainers, but we're not allowed to talk to trainers, so I'm not sure where we're going to find that I'm out. just getting bad vibes, man. It's not, you know what the thing is, it's not, he, we can only judge what we see out here, and we don't see him very much out here. And that tells me that he, at least from that perspective, doesn't really... Um, jive with what Matty Rufus always talks about. Guys that love practice, guys that love ball, guys that want to be here, guys are going to play this high intensity. Now, maybe in week one he steps in, he's an absolute mauler, and you, and you see why they, they got him and he knows the system, um, but we just haven't seen it at all. So yeah, you're right. I mean, even before all these injuries, you had two cases for the offensive line. You had Darnell Wright is as good as his draft slot and as good as Lewis Riddick says he is. Braxton Jones makes this big jump, and I think we know he has the size, certainly, to be a good left tackle. Um, Cody Wire knows what he's doing at center. You don't have to worry about him. Tevin Jenkins continues to ascend at guard, and there were moments last year he looked like an absolute stud, and Nate Davis gives you, it plays what he's paid for, right? The flip side is what's kind of happening right now. Tevin Jenkins gets hurt. Cody Whitehair is who Cody Whitehair is. We don't know what Darnell Wright could be in the NFL yet. Braxton Jones did not play well last year. You yeah. start kind of pulling out individual bricks from the entire from the house, and it's you 
feel less and less good about it. Right, which is why the injuries are a concern because you need those guys out there. I mean, there have been very few practices. The starting five has been out there together. So it's hard. You know, what? It's not important when you have an entirely new offensive line <laughs> right. to have any sort of practice time together. Yeah, so. 17 days from the first game from when you and I are talking right now. So obviously, as I said, you could have most of those guys back. It doesn't seem great for Devin Jenkins because there's just a lot of mystery there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's going to be a problem because – you 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 don't want a situation where Justin Fields is running for his life all the time because yes he can make plays that nobody on earth can make in those backyard football situations, but I'm very curious to see how defenses try to you know make up for that or, you know because I know you can't you can ha- you can spy him as much as you want but you can't defend against a broken play. But I, I'm very curious to see if we start because teams are not going to want to give up 55 yard touchdown runs to him like he did what three or four times last year. Moves that they made this offseason, having your two essentially biggest, I'm Tremaine Edmonds out aside, but two biggest moves on off. I guess they made so many moves. Those aren't even the two biggest moves. You make two big moves along the offensive line. You sign Nate Davis to a sizable free agent contract and use a top 10 pick on Darnell Wright. I think you do that and you use the resources in that way to make sure this is in place. We have enough in front of him where we're putting him in a decent enough spot where we can get our answers by the end. That's my biggest concern here is that as you remove those pieces and the shifting starts to happen, is that possible anymore? Do you feel good about the evaluation that you've gotten by the end of the season if the offensive line is in tatters? So it just that's um, there's a lot of consternation here on my end because that worries me. Yeah, it does. And you know what? They could have a good offensive line and you still could not get the answers. I mean, you the, like you could sit there and pick apart the rest of the offense. You could pick apart, you know, if the de- look the defense as vastly improves as it should be, still is maybe going to be average. Oh, that's I think if both, you know, that's a That'd be good for be them. A very good situation. So, is the defense going to put him in tough spots still, like they did last year? So, like you could still end up with in, in a spot where you just don't have the fullest evaluation of him or where this thing is going. On offense, last question I have for you: What do we think the running back workload is going to look like, and the roles within the running back room? Is that a situation? Is a situation where Roshan kind of becomes the guy by the end of the year, where? He has the traits. He has the little the pass protection elements where eventually with more reps, he kind of separates himself for this group. Or do you think it's going to be a rotation for most of the season? I think that that scenario is definitely in play. Um, didn't have to carry the ball a ton at Texas. And when he yeah. did, it was incredibly effective and the coaches love him. I will say this. One of the one takeaway from camp is that Khalil Herbert has separated himself. And I was not expecting that. I, I thought that we could see Foreman as your week one starter yeah. and we could see Herbert maybe take back over in week four, Roshan in week eight, and they would just be a hot hand team and it's going to drive fantasy owners nuts. Now I'm thinking it's Herbert and there's a gap between before Foreman and Johnson, just from what we've seen, you know, even just, even just watching practice, like during special teams, remember Khalil Herbert was a phenomenal special teams player in college, played a lot of phases with the bears in the last two years. I was watching special teams drills. He was over with the running backs coach. He wasn't even doing it. And Foreman, who's never really done it in his career was working with special teams. We know that's a Roshan Johnson specialty. So I, I think that Herbert is going to get the opportunity to be the guy for as long as he can hold on to it. And my, and I just haven't seen enough from Foreman. I know what he did at Carolina last year, that told me that he could take over that role, but I think it's going to be Herbert for a while. Um, but I would not. I just think that yeah, they're going to be like those old Patriots teams where it was Lawrence Maroney and Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. If you want to play some, remember some guys, Patriots running backs edition. <laughs> but like where Belichick would drive, you know, because you just never knew who it was. And back then, it wasn't that popular of a strategy. Now it seems like everybody's doing it. So I go Herbert one, Foreman two, Johnson three right now. But I think you're right though. I think by 
November, December, especially when it gets cold, and that physical style of Roshan Johnson really can impose his will, I think I think he could get there. Defensively, I know that they've made some big moves. They went out, got Tremaine Edmonds added at linebacker this offseason, but it still feels like it's a really young group, and a lot of those young guys are going to be get opportunities to get a lot of playing time this season. What are kind of the, the problem areas, the concerns on defense, like the biggest questions you have personnel-wise about like who's going to start and where? Yeah, well, the biggest question is the pass rush because yeah. even if it's Yannick Ngakwe and Demarcus Walker, which it should be, I think you can make arguments for both those guys. Ngakwe has the skins on his wall of being an effective pass rusher. Demarcus Walker's coming off a breakout year, um, and he's got like a, a really unique body type where you can move him inside. So you could you you could convince yourself to feel good about those guys. You could also say, well, why is this Ngakwe's fifth team in five, yeah. you know, four, four team in four years? Why did Walker spend so much time with he's these twenty nine? I mean, his breakout season when he was twenty eight years old, right? So you have those concerns. You know, how quickly can Jervon Dexter be that three tech that is mm-hmm. just you know he's got everything body wise you want to be just a really disruptive force, but you know just getting used to the get off and they've talked about that a lot that it's just the timing of that is pad level all those things so that's kind of the number one concern like you can you can sit there and talk about potential of all these guys but you just haven't seen it. Which then brings you to what the strength of the entire team probably is, which is the secondary. Yeah. Because if you're not getting the pass rush, there's two things at play. One, well, good thing you have a good secondary. But two, well, that kind of sucks because you can't allow, allow your secondary to make the plays they're capable of making. Even the secondary, there's still a lot of youth. I mean, you yes. got two second-year players in Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon. You have Tyreek Stevenson probably going to start on the outside and one side, correct? Yeah. So he's a rookie. And then you have Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson. In theory, that could be a really good group that could maybe mature faster than even the most optimistic case would lay out. But still, there's a lot of projection involved with that. There is. The, 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 what makes me feel good about it is Kyler Gordon probably had the best camp than maybe anybody on defense. That's good to hear. And and then he was, to me, a big question mark coming into this. I felt like I saw enough from Jaquan Brisker to kind of get a sense of yeah, who Yeah, I think he's going to be a really good player. Yeah, he's fat, flashed brilliance at times. Like He sometimes needs to get his feet under him in, in the run defense better, and he's admitted that. But with Gordon, I mean, just quarterbacks attacked him last year and, and he started to come into his own at the end of the season. But to see him make so many plays on the ball in camp, I think was really encouraging. And Jalen Johnson's just been steady and he yeah. knows what he has to do. He's got to make plays in the ball. He's got to turn the ball contract over. here. Yeah, he gets it. And I think that, you know, he's been solid. Stevenson's we've seen Stevenson's best and it is eye opening. I mean, he is physical. That Ryan Pulse traits bit, yeah. that man. I mean, that's <laughs> it's a, wild. They got some athletes on defense, and I yes. think that's the hope, right? Is that you've volume shot with those second round picks and some of the draft volume or draft picks that you've accrued, and think we're going to bet on athletes and traits, and hopefully we can coach these guys up and get them to a certain place. But there's still it's a lot of projection and a lot of youth involved in that plan, at least in the short term. I mean, look, Javon Dexter and Zach Pickens were like all world basketball players yeah. in high school and then five star recruits. And you look at Tremaine Edmonds, the reason they love him so much more than a Roquan Smith is his size and his length. Uh, and then you go look at Tyreek Stevens and he is just built not the way that you're not used to from a corner. And then you put in the size and speed and you're like, oh my goodness, like what he can bring. So yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what they're building. Yeah, I saw someone wrote a story for a, another outlet about the Chargers having a basketball team at wide receiver. Yes. And well, the Bears have a, everybody got a basketball team in the middle of their defense and trying to at least. I think the hope on defense is that you have a certain play style by the end of the season. They play hard. They're in the right spots. Even if the youth and inexperience shows up every once in a while, 
you have an identity on that side of the ball by the time the season is over. Last year, you just throw it out. I mean, like they tore it down to the studs on purpose. You have guys that were street-free agents and are deep backups on this team that were getting a ton of work on last year's version. So if you can have this kind of youth movement happen where it's not a fully formed product by the end, but you see enough flashes from these guys and you can project it into next year, the year after that, that feels like success on that side of the ball. Yeah, and, and I, I want to be careful because I obviously don't want to mean this is disrespect to guys who might get cut, but Kendall Vildor, who was a fifth-round pick, who had some nice moments for as a fifth-round pick coming from where he came from, was a starter for this team at times. And Travis Gibson, fourth-round pick, yep. a starter for this team. You know, He was their really best threat against the quarterback two years ago, and then it just kind of fell off last year. I mean, Gibson still has a chance to make the team. I don't think Vildor, just the way the depth chart is shaking out, his time in Chicago. Probably. That's all you need to know. But exactly, they've got they now can move on and and replace those guys with you know upgrades at those positions. Um, I mean, even if Travis Gibson makes a team, you're talking about he's probably your number four, number five defensive end. If Vildor made the team, he'd be your number six corner. Those guys were starting last year. They were starting two years ago. So it, that just shows you what they're doing. And I also think too, analytics wise, you don't pay the way the Bears paid for Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards. But if you're the Matt Eberflus defense and those positions, especially Tremaine Edmonds, is that integral to what you're trying to build, like you see it play out. And I also am not going to complain about how much they spent. They had all the money in the world. Yeah, if you so look at the why, cap hits, he has a $22 million yeah. cap hit next year. They are, still have $80 million They'll in space. Like it, he's a 25-year-old player. We were betting on you're getting in front of the age curve rather than being at the end of it while signing a guy in free agency, which doesn't always happen. Right. This is all well and good. We can talk about all of this and the plan on defense and everything. If the offense and the quarterback don't come together, none of this matters. Like nope. That, at the end of the day, is what is going to define this season. And we're, like you said, 17, 17 days away from starting that process and seeing how it goes. Yeah, and you know what? It's almost unfortunate that Philadelphia did what they did last year because I think the people who have... I don't even want to call them pipe dreams about Justin Fields because you can make a very realistic scenario that he takes off because he is that physically gifted. I get it. But, you know, I think it's unfair to him. It's unfair to the Bears to hope this team becomes the Eagles, to hope this team becomes the Bills this year. They don't need to do that. They just need to take a step forward. You know what, Robert? I've covered, this is my 11th year covering a team, and I ask for very little. I ask for relevant games in December. <laughs> Give me relevant <laughs> games in December to cover. And, you know, and I don't mean like relevant, like going for the number one pick relevant. I'm excited to see what it looks like. They've done enough this offseason where I'm intrigued with what the plan is. Now the plan just has to come together. That's it. Kevin Fishbane, very much appreciate the time, sir. Always good to see you. Always good to chat with you. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, that's all we got. Thank you so much to Alec. Thank you to Matt. And thank you to Kevin. And thank you to everyone who listened to these shows over the course of training camp. We did 15 teams, almost half the league we did 16 teams, five of these shows, and then one conversation about the Dolphins that we put in another show. So half the league. Hope you guys enjoyed them. I certainly enjoyed doing them. A reminder, we have a very special new show coming for you guys on Monday. Please be on the lookout for that. Cannot wait for you guys to hear what we have cooking up this season. So please be ready for that on Monday. For now, enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.